gazed out at the great field without the slightest trace of false sentimentality. It bears repeating that I am a normal man with normal feelings. When I'm tempted by human weakness, however, I simply think of Germany and of the trust reposed on me by her deliverer, whose vision, whose ideals and aspirations I unshakably share. To be kind to the Jew is to be cruel to the German. Right and wrong, good and bad, these concepts have had their time. They are gone. Under the new order, some deeds have positive outcomes and some deeds have negative outcomes. And that's all. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Lift to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We're recording this episode on Sunday, February 25th. Welcome to episode number 79, where we will be discussing the adaptation, The Zone of Interest. Uh, I'm your host, Will, and with me to talk things over is the world historian, legal customer, and the commandant of the Little Lens podcast himself, Air Eric. Say hello to the people eat. Guten Tag, Air Wilhelm. Hello. What's up? How's it going? Was up? Was up? <laughs> it's great. Sorry about the the, the German accent there. I, have, I don't know what It's happened. German vibes this morning. Yeah, a lot of German or anti-German vibes. vibes. We'll see. Wow, jeez. All right, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I so we are I, here. this movie teaches you how to love, right? Isn't that the whole um, point? It teaches you. I don't know if love is the right word. Yeah, maybe the book. The book might be teaching you how to love. I think both of these teach you how to forget. Well, right, and how to re-remember. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, it's a very uh, German themed this morning. My uh, dear Chelsea Football Club lost to the. Uh, German coach Jurgen Klopp and the Liverpool uh, Football Club today in the Carabao Cup final, which was unfortunate. And then obviously this film. Should we explain how the Carabao Cup works for <laughs> everyone who doesn't know? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think we should. But um, but yeah. So anyways. So Will I would like to say Will is like a little miffed. So if Will's like <laughs> sentiment changes, you uh, will understand why. You'll know why. Yeah. Yeah. So just want to put that on the record. So, um, before we get into the adaptation, let's do some fast facts here. Um, the author of the novel, uh, Sir Martin Amos, uh, who is the author of other books named The Rachel Papers, Money and London Fields. Um, the publisher of this book was Jonathan Cape, uh, published in August 2014, so relatively relatively recent. Uh, 306 paperback uh, pages, um, Goodreads of 3.71, so pretty good. And then the film uh, was released in Cannes uh, in May of 2023 and then in theaters in December of 2023. Um, the director, uh, Jonathan Glazer, has directed films such as Sexy Beast, Birth, and Under the Skin. Uh, screenwriters, it was also Jonathan uh, Glazer as well. The film stars Christian Friedel, Sandra Huller, and Runtime 105 Minutes. It's not crazy long. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 93%. Metacritic, 92 Pretty, Pretty good. Yeah, I think it won the Grand Prix at Cannes, which is the second uh, most prestigious word behind the, the I was going to call it the Ballon d'Or, but the, like, the, the gold <laughs> The top pr- trophy is called like uh, the the gold line. The gold, gold line. line. I'll, yeah. look it, I'll look it up. Yeah. So people like it. Nominated for a, a, a oodle of Oscars. Yep. So uh, I think five Oscars, um, including best adapted screenplay, which is why we're talking about it here today. That is true. Look at that. That is true. Well done. Look Thank at you. you. Thank you. Um, so Eric, before we get into the book, can you d- give us a quick recap? Yes, the Zone of Interest, which is the fourteenth novel from Martin Amis, is set among a group of German commanders at an unnamed concentration camp which is taken to be Auschwitz the story traces the fall of the Third Reich from three interweaving perspectives uh, 
a man named Anglist Thompson, an officer at the camp, Paul Dahl, his commandant, and Smuzzle Zacharias, a Jewish death camp prisoner. The stories and characters intersect due to the nature both of their work and Thompson's attempts to attract Paul's wife, Hannah. Uh, themes of power, of memory, survivor's guilt, navigating right and wrong, and society building feature prominently. Yes, I do. That's um, the Zone of Interest book. Yeah. Bears repeating. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into the differences between the book and the film here a little later on. Before we do, we're going to play our favorite game here. Two truths, one lie. Eric, are you ready? Yes. Sir Martin Louis Ami. Uh, or Emmys, excuse me, I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. I think it's it was Amos. It's Amos. British, right? Yeah. You, you don't. Oh, the Louis threw me off. That's what it was. Louis and me. It's probably Louis. It probably is Louis. Damn. It's British. You know about. But there's French in the book too. French and German. I think that's what's throwing but me it, off. But it, but it's like British French, so you don't pronounce it. Oh, in the you're French right. Way. Like how like what's that guy in Watford? His name's like Capu Capoue. Yeah, they just call him Capu. Capu. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Fish and chips. That's maybe. another thing I'm learning. <laughs> they for also you say today. instead of fresh fillet, they say fresh fillet. Yeah. So FYI, you'll know. You're going there on Tuesday. That's so right. Have That's fun. Right. Um, so, Sir Martin Lewis Amis. Amos. Amos. <laughs> was knighted by King Charles for his services to literature, announced posthumously, but backdated to one day before his untimely death last year. Uh, Sandra Huller vowed to never play a Nazi on screen, so had serious reservations about playing Hedwig in this film, but was convinced by Glazier to join the project. Um and in over a 24-year filmmaking career, Jonathan Glazer has only directed five feature films. What are we thinking? Hmm. Tough, tough, tough. I did read a New Yorker profile of Sandra Huller, who's like the main uh, actress in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago. And I'm, I'm pretty sure she said this, that she would never play a Nazi. She's a German actress. And so you can imagine, I'm sure a lot of German actors and actresses get pick to play these parts a lot mm-hmm. so i'm gonna say that's probably so i think that's i think that's true if my memory serves okay um i did know martin amos died in 2013 king charles has only been king since 20, 2023 sorry and king charles has only been in place for like several months so that would be kind of a tight turnaround um and then jonathan glazer i know doesn't work very much his last movie was made 10 years ago under the skin as you mentioned so it's very possible five every if if he makes a movie every five years over 24 years that's basically five total movies but his last movie came out 10 years ago so really what you're asking me is in a 14 year career he made four movies and then he took a 10 year break to make his fifth so i think that's true i'm gonna think uh martin amos was knighted by elizabeth not charles that's 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 what I think the lie is. And that's the specific part of that <laughs> sentence that I think is the lie. Is that your final answer? Yes. You are incorrect. <laughs> yeah, so he was knighted by King Charles. Uh but that that was it was good. That's why I threw it in there because I knew that was I was hoping that would throw you, uh throw you off. Well, you did. Cuz it was so recent. Yeah. Um yeah. And then yeah, he's only made four films. Um I mentioned them all. Here, Sexy Beast, Birth Under the Skin, and then obviously The Zone of Interest um so yeah so full four movies only four nobody wants to work anymore you know you find that to be true <laughs> that's true he has directed a bunch of um like and not just radiohead but like radiohead and other british bands uh music videos short films so he's always working yeah he's just you know picky i guess he doesn't find the right material yeah okay all right well material finds him maybe oh well, that's true so 
Did he write this? You said he wrote this, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then I also found some interesting little tidbits here. Uh, Jonathan Glazer is a gooner, supports Arsenal Football Club, which, you know, to each his own, but I may feel like that's pretty unfortunate. I didn't know they called their supporters gooners. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the gooners support the gunners is yep. what you're saying. That's okay. right. right. Yeah. Uh, and then after – I keep saying – I want to say a me now. Martin <laughs> Amos. Yes. <laughs> Amos's death. Uh, the New York Times actually claimed that those who came of radiant age between the oil embargo of 1973 and then through the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 all the way to 9-11 was to live, it seems clear, in the Amos era. I thought that was quite – that's quite a quote from the New York Times. It's like 30 years. Yeah. And like this – I'll be honest – this is the first time I'd ever heard of him, uh, this author. And maybe I've just haven't come across it or maybe I have before and I just never remembered it. But had you, well, you didn't come of age in this period. Although I guess you well, sort of, we sort of did, I guess. Yeah. Maybe it was a little bit before. Our, Cause like we were 11 No, we were 10 years old. Yeah. 10, uh, at nine 11. So we were reading, but, when we but reading like, this, yeah. yeah, we were reading this level yeah. stuff. Um, I had heard the name. I have not read any of his books. Mm-hmm. And when I was uh, like, I didn't do a whole lot of research into him, but I saw that he's written quite a few books like based in this time. Yeah. Around World War II mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. So I feel like that was his kind of cup of tea. So maybe like sort of like a, a, a like a dad writer. When you think of like dad literature, it's yeah. the sort of like David Grant nonfiction books. And this is the historical fiction world war ii mm-hmm. kind of guy yeah um which i think makes some sense i wonder who would be the if we're the generation after this i wonder who would be our tom clancy no i'm just kidding oops uh yeah he's probably a little bit older i don't know writers kind of lost there's there's too many there's a lot of writers now yeah and like none of them were as famous as they used to be that's true probably stephen king maybe but he's but he's also the previous generation. Yeah, he was pumping stuff out in like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Uh, good question. Yeah, we'll come back to it. We'll, we'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool. We have another game for you. J.K. Rowling? Oh, isn't she uh, uh, canceled? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Harry Potter? I don't know. Harry Potter was very popular. Now I'm just looking year. at my bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> James Joyce? <laughs> <laughs> he was a little before, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, over under... The number is 3.5. The subject is number of adaptations made from a Martin Amos novel. Oh. Or from Martin Amos novels, excuse me. Oh, I like that you had to read that again because it sounds <laughs> like there's some funny business going on here. Maybe, maybe not. So I'm going to say under, based on literally nothing <laughs> <laughs> besides you having to read that back. These are like <laughs> short stories that have been made into movies. I have no idea. So I'm going to say under 3.5. You're incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> it's four. <laughs> it is four. Um, Can we restart are... this episode? <laughs> uh, the first one he made was actually a book written in 1975 called Dead Babies, um, which is not about dead babies, but a, that is a title. Um, the other one is called Money and then uh, London Fields. Oh, I've heard of London. Now that you're saying it, and now that I've been mm-hmm. thinking about it, yeah. Okay. Um, so there you go. Good for him. Yeah. Anything so. from like short stories or? No, that not that I could find. Okay. Um, unfortunately, but four's a lot. Four's a lot. Yeah. That's good for him. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, I guess. Sir, but, Sir Martin Amos. That's right. Um, before we get into the book here, we're gonna take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. We will be right back. 
This episode of the Littlelands podcast is brought to you by the Gesellschaft von Er Steel Deinen Freunden, translated into English as the Mr. Steel Your Girl Society. Fallen in love with your boss's wife? Lusted after another? Well, whether it's the neighbor's spouse or the square-headed wife of the commandant of Auschwitz himself, the players and Lotharios in the Mr. Steel Your Girl Society can provide you with the drip, the riz, and the discretion needed to get the ill-gotten girl. Is it dangerous? Is it risky? Hell yeah. But when you're stealing from the guy who literally runs Auschwitz, you don't have to feel quite so bad. Apply today. And we are back. Um, thank you from that brief word from our sponsor. Um, Gessenschaft von er steal dein Freunden. So. You, you do a German accent well, Fuck yeah. I should say. I've been practicing. Yeah. Just for this podcast. Well, you're going to Berlin, right? So. You're going to Berlin, yeah, in July for the... Um, Euros, Euro 2024, quarterfinal. So you got to practice your... I think they love it when you try to do a German <laughs> accent in, a, in English. I think they love that. I think you're right. I think I will do that. Yeah. Like when you go to Paris and you try to speak like a French-American, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, cool. So let's talk about the book. Um, Pitch Me Daddy, my favorite uh, part of the show here. Eric, I am the studio executive. I am head of a 24 you are you own the rights to this book you want to make it into a film tell me why adapt something like this into a cinematic form first is this like your is that your dream job to be head of a 24 for sure be cool what if if you just if you just like worked at a 24 yeah would that be cool yeah i should look up see if any uh ux design jobs i bet they would i mean they're owned by a hedge fund so they probably oh, are like, they? pay decently they well. Owned by a hedge fund? Yeah, that's the little Fuck. secret, baby. That's the secret of A24. <laughs> They're not just some plucky startup. They Damn. got real VC money. I don't know how I feel about this anymore. Yeah. That's too bad. The hipster dream is dead. <laughs> um, okay, so I think the road for this story is both obvious and complicated. Um, it's a World War II story. And I thought of this for this episode. World War II is basically like Hollywood's MCU writ large. Like there's a new one each year. Mm. And together they tell this grand graphic story about one of the most important events in the history of the world. Which I think it's fair to say. Mm. Um, World War II stories do well. They carry a patina of importance. They get nominated for Oscars. All of the things, right? Um, what I think complicates this is that this is, this is also a Holocaust story. Uh, it's set at a camp. I think the, the movie sets it at Auschwitz, right? Um, there's a history of depicting the Holocaust in film. And I think there's two recently, recent-ish 90s examples of celebrated films, Schindler's List and Life is Beautiful. Those are the two that came to my mind. I'm sure there's others, but those were both Oscar winners and um, well-regarded at the time. However, I feel like nowadays there is a pushback or a blowback to depicting the Holocaust. There was a 2012 comment from the French director Michael Haneke, who basically said that Schindler's List reduced human suffering to entertainment. Um, and I feel like as the years have gone on, it feels like there's less of a willingness for audiences to face difficult subject matter, whether it's like even like sex or violence um, or hero suffering. Uh, and though he said those comments in 2012, I thought it was kind of an interesting time, and that this book comes out in 2014. And I don't think the book was written in response to anything like that. But um, what I think is interesting about this book in context of what I'm saying is that it basically evades the fair of what we're talking about. 
right? It's a Holocaust story, but it's focused on primarily on the Germans. Mm -hmm. And that's not really an angle you see too much. The suffering in the book is not really shown all that much. Like there is a perspective, um, but it's, it's definitely centered on the experience of those you wouldn't typically center the experience on. Mm -hmm. And it feels different to me. Um, You don't get the obviously like evil characterization of every German. Like there are some Germans in here and we'll talk about who have varying views on what they're doing. Um, And like the reading says, like these are people first who do evil things sort of as a, a consequence of where they've found themselves in time. Um, And then I I would say like, if that doesn't connect with you, one of the larger motives across this piece, obviously, because it's set in world war two and is about the Holocaust is anti-Semitism and Judea phobia. Um, and I think in the current moment, both of those are still fairly relevant. So you're definitely touching on some things that like grand historical story built in audience, but also like, you know, it's 80 years later and we're still talking about the same things. Yeah. Well, here's a blank check. Go win me an Oscar. Um, yeah, I wanted to say, um, it is funny you mentioned that Michael Haneke quote, um, because in a lot of interviews coming out, um, Jonathan Glazer has basically made a massive point at saying didn't want to like fetishize the Holocaust experience on film, uh, essentially. And you're right, the book does this as well. And the book um, also like doesn't really have kind of forces you to root for one of one of these people, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of uh complicit in what's going on so they all have baggage or complex character characterizations um so it's funny that something like this would get made i feel like typically it wouldn't i don't know yeah this is like reading this is not stick out to me like a movie me neither absolutely yeah it's it's weird to think that like i think one of the one well, I guess we'll talk about it. One of the things both of these share is like the sort of banality of evil, just like the, the quotidian nature of people going about mm-hmm. their lives in the face of world war two and the Holocaust and all that stuff. But yeah, the book definitely wants you to try and emphasize empathize. Yeah. That's the word empathize with like one of these guys. Right. Yeah. And it's a really hard hill to climb yeah. given like, gestures around right <laughs> everything right. that you know to That's happen happening. and all yeah. that stuff yeah i think it's yeah it's probably fair to say that um hannah is probably the most like relatable character i guess because she's not directly involved with what's happening but she's involved in this love triangle but um okay go make it go make me some uh some oscar buzz i wonder if they were like if they were honestly like Probably what happened is that he got the rights to this himself. He did. And like wrote yeah. a script mm-hmm. and got it approved. He didn't like bring the book to A24, which didn't exist in 2014, whatever, right, whatever right. he bought it. Yeah. I'm sure he just like bought it himself, did it himself and showed them what it could be yeah. or what he wanted to do mm-hmm. versus like saying, this is the book I want to do. Give me money to do yeah. it. Cause I would imagine like looking at this, he'd be like, no. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it obviously took him a long time. I think he started working on it or started with working on the idea of it right after Under the Skin, which I think was 2013. Um, so obviously it took him a while to get it done. But um, before we get into the film, let's talk about the book a little bit. Um, were there any parts that you were excited to see adapted um, into the film? Yes. I mean, we just kind of touched on this was like, I had trouble seeing this as a movie at all. Um, I think the German perspective is, is somewhat fresh, but the story was less clear. Uh, like, were we really going to make a like a love triangle among Nazis here? I, mm-hmm. I just that would surprise me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I thought for a second you maybe could do something with uh, they call it the Buno Werke. Yeah. The idea that Germany could achieve what they call autarky which is basically the idea that they could produce their own rubber and fuel and maintain their war efforts like indefinitely. It kind of reminded me of what is going on in Russia where basically like, we don't care about your sanctions. Mm-hmm. We have enough stuff. We can produce enough stuff to basically like have a perpetual motion machine here. We don't need the United States mm-hmm. to give us this. We don't need China to give us that. We have munitions. We have oil. We have whatever. Like we can just we can be bad as long as we want to be bad. Yeah. Like, you can't really do anything, do anything to us. And so the, they talked about this in the book where like, if we can just achieve this or if we can build this plant that can do this thing, then like, then the war kind of like is ours. It falls to, in our favor. Right. Um, Cause a lot of the book I think takes place during the sort of like decline of the Reich. Yeah. Um, things aren't going well. People are, are sad. So I, I thought like that maybe could be something you could, um, use as a story point or like work towards the completion mm. of something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see, I didn't see a movie. I just saw a lot of people talking in rooms about the war effort views on fascism. Yeah. Love. Like I, I saw a play. Honestly, yeah. if you, if you were to like try to do this literally, I feel like it's, it could be a play. That's interesting. Um, I had not, did not have that thought, but I could definitely see that as well. Interesting. It, it gives me also like a, uh, You've seen the producers because mm-hmm. we did that with one of our movie clubs like way back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. But the sort of like they they designed a musical that was supposed to fail so spectacularly that they would make a bunch of money. Yeah. And it was springtime for Hitler, which is like yeah. you know happiness for the Nazis. Right, and it's right. like this kind of what kind of you could almost see that mm, here. Where yeah. It's like it's a love triangle among <laughs> Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forbidden love oh. amongst <laughs> forbidden time or you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I really actually, that could definitely work. Um, yeah, it was funny. I don't know. Like for me, I saw the film before I finished reading. So it was a bit different. Um, but as I was reading, I just thought like, I would not be interested in watching this. Like this love triangle that doesn't really have like any real stakes. I mean, I guess they, there are stakes in the sense of like, um, I forget his name, not Paul Dahl, uh, Theo, or not Theo. Thompson. Yeah, Thompson. Um, you know, obviously, if he gets in trouble, stakes are pretty high for that. But but you also don't really care for him. You don't really care for Paul Dahl because he's the commandant of the concentration camp or the cat set, as they call it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a tough read. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you felt as you kind of progress through the, the novel i feel like i was running in mud yeah <laughs> i struggled like a lot um 
I don't know. I felt like there was just a lot of stitching missing in this book. There were a lot of section breaks, a lot of conversations that I feel like didn't move the story along, but instead kind of just offered ideas and I don't know, man. It, I felt like it just it jumped around a lot. There were we talked about this off mic, but a lot of uh, you know a lot of German words. Yeah. That I felt like kind of stalled the what was being expressed. Like a lot of things were defined weren't defined. It was just like they were defined as this German thing, mm-hmm. which I didn't understand, and it happened a lot. Yeah. I feel like it, it kind of just like s- stopped me every time I came across like a fourteen letter German word for yeah. something. I feel like I feel like that kind of stuff is not really made for the like your average audience. He's just flexing, you know. It's basically meant for critics, right? Like people who actually have the time to sit down, read this, look up all the German words and all the German phrases, as well. I mean, this is kind of we're not critics, I guess, but like critics, we're we're critics in a way. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's a weird way to. I don't know. It's not uh, not a weird way to tell a story, but it's just like you're just adding work for me. It's cl- it's about clarity, I think, yeah. right? Like you could, you know, there are books that interweave like Spanish or French or whatever. Right. And it's I mean, this is an English language book. He's a British writer. Mm-hmm. He's writing in English. He right. doesn't need to like it'd be one thing if it was like commandant. Okay, yeah, you yeah. sort of get what that means. Or that you give the German names of things. Yeah, but he I think he kind of goes out of his way to not her to to just use the the correct words for things in german yeah and not translate them out but it's done in a way that like actually stops the interpretation process like yeah. it's it's actually not clear all the time what he's talking about right it'd be one thing if you like layered in a couple of sentences in german and the meetings are it's like kind of okay you sort of get what the meaning is mm-hmm. like you stub your toe and you say like ah yeah yeah, yeah. or it's like nicked whatever you know right. things that you can easily understand this. I, f- I felt like honestly kind of like gummed up the wheels of, of certain things. It did. I mean, there were uh, at the beginning, I was very ambitious and I was like, Oh, I'm going to translate every single time. And after like the t- eighth time I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm done doing this. Sort of needed like the Shakespeare reader where it's like, yeah. you know, when you get those like old English words and then it's like on the next page, it says, like, Oh, yeah. this is what that means. I guess it's one of those things where it's like you get in what, what you, or you get out what you put in kind of thing. Like, yeah. You got to put in the effort to like really get rewarded learning these new German words and phrases and all that, which is, which is, you know, fine. But if I'm looking for a novel, that's giving me a plot, a narrative, something to root to root for, this is not the novel for you essentially. No. And I don't know how you read it. I honestly felt like I was reading it at a certain point. I kind of like fell off the wagon, Mm. but was just holding on as the wagon kept going. (laughs) And I like looked up and I was like, Oh, I'm on page 200. What? (laughs) What's happening? Yeah. I mean, this book would put me to sleep like real aggressively. I read it at night and I get through five pages and I would wake and I was on my Kindle. And so, you know, you're like involuntarily just like, yeah. your thumb is just like moving and i wake up and i'm like oh no was i on was i supposed to be on this page i don't know what's going on i just i, I don't know i i, I uh. there just weren't enough narrative beats it was just like there were just conversations of things happening i don't know it wasn't yeah i don't know it was like 300 pages of a very un understated love affair yeah and then at the end in the aftermath section there was a very clean conversation between thompson and hannah that sort of like summarized what happened mm-hmm. she's like remember when this happened and i was like okay i got to that and it was super clear yeah. what i had missed right right right. and i was just like 
I couldn't have been this clear the whole time. No. no. Like, I feel on. like I wonder how it would be on a reread if it would be better. Probably, right? Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking about it I was, as I was finishing this morning. I was like, this would probably be a decent reread. It's tough when there's just, it's a novel and you're so accustomed to novels having plots. Yeah. And like things that are happening, not just like conversations about ideas. And I think a movie is a better um, place for that to happen because you, you like, no matter what the movie moves, you're seeing things mm-hmm. happening and mm-hmm. you're processing it and it means things. When it, I feel like when it's dialogue and it's just blocks of dialogue, it's paragraphs of dialogue and it's like intercut scenes and all this stuff. It's, I don't know. I felt it was different languages. Very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't like it very much. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I, did, I mean, I think it was well written. Yeah, the yeah. writing is very good. I know you wrote down some things. Did I? Did I write down some things? quotes? Well, you mentioned some quotes off mic. I wrote down some quotes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what I what, like early on, he describes one of the women. I think Hannah's eyes are described as being an unpatriotic, sh- unpatriotic dark brown. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was so good for yeah. like a book about Nazism. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, there's a a quote I wrote: "Quiet down, Boris. Have some alcohol. You're too sober." Mm-hmm um have you noticed golo that redhead smell stronger i vaguely and confusedly wondered if the story of national socialism could have folded in any other language like there's just some really good like bangers here there's some interesting things i didn't know about like national i feel like he did a lot of research he must have and i read through his afterward um or his acknowledgments Mm -hmm. and he cites like a million books yeah and he's also written in this genre in this time quite a bit so i feel like he is sort of a, a master of knowing what the hell happened and like having some sense of the history and mm-hmm. trying to get things right. Um, but I felt like it was his 14th book and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. Maybe yeah. the first book, the publisher would have been like, Hey, this is kind of unclear. Mm. But by the 14th book, it's like, Oh, it's Martin, new Martin Amos book. Yeah. Yeah. Like- people gonna buy it like just like jk rowling oh it's a seventh harry potter book let it be eleven thousand pages no one cares he doesn't need an editor They're you're, not allowed, to, you're not allowed to read the book <laughs> you're right yeah you can't even edit it because no one's even allowed to look yeah, at of it. of course yeah just print it yeah um yeah i have a lot of the same feelings about this one um oh yeah i was going to mention the quote i don't have the quote on me but he basically uh thompson basically compares himself to an elephant in heat and how he must have Hannah Dahl. And it's a like a great p- paragraph. Because um, it's just sort of like animalistic, crazy. Um, then there's another paragraph later in the novel. I think it's in the 70, page 73 or so. Where they actually describe how... It's quite like chilling uh, to read it. But they basically describe how the... Um, I don't know, I forget what they call them. But the burners essentially. Oh. The Holocaust. The, like, and, how they, and how it works. And it's... I won't go into details, but it's quite graphic and quite uh, chilling. So there, are, it's it's weird. It's a weird book because you have all this dialogue and it's fairly normal. Like it's almost it's bureaucratic. They're talking about work and love interest and all these things, but then you have moments like that where it kind of like turns into this different thing, or maybe it's more of a reminder, like don't forget we're here at the Holocaust kind of thing. Um, and they do that in the film as well, but um, yeah, it was a bit chilling at parts. So not for the weak stomach, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, 
I feel like it, 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 there it's easier for the movie for a movie to be understated than a book to be understated because if yeah. the book is understated you just sort of like blow through it and you're like what am I supposed that I miss what I was supposed to be getting out right. of this right um I don't know yeah could have done better yeah <laughs> yeah my name is goddamn it <laughs> but uh, you know if you were to just like highlight these and put them on Instagram with like the cool like text quoting oh, boxes yeah, yeah, you'd be yeah. like wow that's well, that's great writing that's good yeah yeah so maybe check out a different martin amos to start maybe london fields i don't know yeah i haven't read that but yeah we'll see there are other adaptations we can get into but maybe next up on the little ends <laughs> podcast <laughs> um and we talked about did we like reading that is there anything else you want to mention before we move on uh <laughs> no cool me neither thank you yeah i think we covered it all yeah we which did which was like moments of of clarity moments of of joy you did you actually read it all right mm-hmm. so i read the first third first like 90 pages and then i uh spotify has audiobooks now and this was available included with uh spotify premium which i have of course and um, i have it also just, oh okay i don't want i wasn't sure i don't want listeners to think that i don't have it <laughs> are you sure you have it i have it okay just to make sure i split it with my wife <laughs> but yeah so i listened to that the rest of the way through um, which is quite good. Uh, his guy, the actor, I guess, the narrator was Sean Barrett, who was quite good because he did the, he's English, but he did the German accent quite well. Um, and he spoke in German and French as well. He was quite talented. So if you're looking for the audiobook, maybe check it out on Spotify. So FYI. Yeah. I, I read like 90 pages, then I saw the movie. And oh, then, nice. I, then I like, maybe, that, maybe that's not true. Maybe I was more like half and half. Yeah. But the movie didn't even help me like process the book. I just like yeah, we're gonna get into it. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you for listening to that section. Should we do that after every section? (laughs) Thank you for listening. Things are getting this far. (laughs) Um, We're gonna listen to the trailer, and we'll be right back. Kräuter, auch Rosmarin, hier ist rote Beete, das ist Fenchel, die Sonnenblumen hier. Und hier ist der Kohlrabi, die Kinder essen wahnsinnig viel Kohlrabi. Die herrliche Zeit, die wir gemütlich im gastlichen Hausehaus verlebten, wird immer mit zu unseren schönsten Urlaubsländern herumgehören. Im Osten steht unser Morgen. Welchen Dank für eure nationalsozialistische Gastfreundschaft. And we are back. Thank you for listening to the trailer to The Zone of Interest. All right, Eric, your time is now. Learn us something. Here we go. Welcome to the Joe Rogan Podcast, because today (laughs) we are talking about the cosmic ice theory. Because I believe in science. This is something (laughs) that I believe in. No, Um, this is mentioned. This theory is mentioned in the book, uh, and I had to look it up because it sounded crazy. 
um, created by an Austrian engineer. Austrian is important. Uh, okay. Engineer and inventor Hans Horbinger, in his in a 1912 book, the theory basically posits that ice is the basic element in all cosmic events. He believed the moon was made of ice, and that many of Newton's laws of gravity were wrong. So he's kind oh, of God. like an anti-establishment science guy. Gotcha. And he's Austrian, as is Hitler. Um, right. The gist of his idea was that the solar system was born of a gigantic star into which had crashed another star and that star was dead but filled with water <laughs> you know stars are not on fire or anything. They're just filled with... the resulting explosion threw the smaller stars bits all over interstellar space where the water froze into enormous blocks of ice and a ring of such blocks created what we now know as the milky way galaxy oh in addition to like other galaxies um, these ideas were not widely accepted in his lifetime. I wonder why. And he was known to tell his detractors who questioned his math, quote, calculation can only lead you astray, which I think is what Oppenheimer says in the movie Oppenheimer. I can't remember. Oh, exactly. No, that's a joke. Oh. <laughs> um, one of his early supporters of his ideas uh, was a guy named Houston Stewart Chamberlain, who was a leading theorist of the developing National Socialist Party, which we know today as the Nazi Party. Corbinger's theory began to line up more closely with national socialist views and the ice world theory became in effect, the German antithesis to the, what were called quote, Jewish physics, mm. um, which included things like the theory of relativity, oh relativity God. developed by, um, Albert Einstein. Hitler, uh, should be said was taken by the cosmic ice theory idea and in addition to other ideas that Harbinger had and planned to build a planetarium in Linz where a whole floor would be dedicated to, to the ice world theory. After the fall of the Reich, the theory sadly began to flounder until the little lens podcast <laughs> brought it back. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I want to read this little section from the book, which is where it came, came from uh, because it, it sort of shows perhaps how like Germans thought about the theory as it related to like their place in the pecking order of like other humans. Um, so the cosmic ice theory also known as the world ice principle holds that the earth was created when a frozen comet, the size of Jupiter collided with the sun during the trillennia of winter that followed the first Aryans were cautiously molded and formed. Thus only the inferior races are descended from the great apes. The Nordic peoples were cryogenically preserved from the dawn of terrestrial time on the lost continent what? of Atlantis. The fuck? <laughs> so I, I think it's, it's one of those theories that was taken to explain why the like Aryan people were sort of like different and better than everyone else, which is like absolutely not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wild. I've never heard this. I'm glad you brought it back. I hope this is starts trending on Twitter again so that we can bringing this back to the mainstream i hope not and we can accept this as <laughs> yeah. true science that is wild i mean it's funny um this is this is just wild it's it reminds me of like scientology how you can just sort of make something up and people just like blindly believe it well you have to pay money to to like well, do scientology that's right? true yeah yeah you have to be like a an a-list actor yeah to... well i think you earn like points and those points can be redeemed for like stuff at the gift shop no i mean it's like phaetons right and you you earn enough i think there are there are levels it's like a credit system i think yeah there's yeah. a credit system you earn enough points and you become a different level yeah. and then with that level comes more understanding or like ability yeah. to, to do certain things yeah i watched the going clear documentary 
a couple years ago. And it, the funny thing is, like, I feel like Scientology by itself mm-hmm. is actually, like, helpful in how it teaches you to be, uh, like, less alone in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it actually provides you some skills. Yeah. But then you also get wrapped up into, like, a crazy place full of weird people. Yeah. Don't let you leave. In a weird... I, I can't... I don't know what they... They call themselves something... It's also a similar story. I think uh, like a science fiction story about how the earth was created and who these people are. And L. Ron Hubbard, you know, L. Ron Hubbard has the Guinness world record for most books published in a lifetime. Is that right? Yeah. Congrats. That's amazing. We're still on the Eric (laughs) learned something thing. (laughs) So there are actually church of Scientology buildings in Washington, DC. I think the L. Ron Hubbard house is in like on like 19th street or something. They have, I think the best real estate empire in the United States. They have like, and I think Maybe also because they are a church, technically. Yeah, they don't pay taxes. They don't pay taxes. For sure. So they get some... It's in DuPont in D.C. Yeah, probably. probably where uh, freaking Percival Everett set his uh, American fiction. No, I actually looked up where that was. It was like... It was on 16th Street, but it was way north. It was okay. like closer to Silver Spring. Oh, but I thought that was in DuPont, though. Uh, Well, the house where he grew up, he like put the address in the book. I looked it up. It was like up there, but maybe there was something oh. else in Dubai. Maybe the hospital where she worked. I know because okay. that was southeast. Yeah, but anyways, maybe he just doesn't know his geography. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> not anyway, yeah, that's well, the uh, that's the cosmic ice theory. That's amazing. Um, I don't we really should get, We should make it. teachers like how like obviously water is important, but like how how does like plants grow from ice? <laughs> if it's just ice, the, where like where's the how does the rock form? You know, you got to read. Um, oh, yeah, right. Hans Horbinger's <laughs> book, dude. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> We're gonna do that you as our next. Can't explain that to me right now. You, you know. Hopefully, somebody makes a movie about it. We can discuss here on the Lowlands podcast. But to each his own. Thank you for bringing that uh, conspiracy theory to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to know that we are an entertainment podcast. We're That's not, true. Uh, we're not education. That's true. Um, but we're gonna get into the film here um, for the zone of interest. Um, Eric, how would you describe the adaptation, literal, loose, or reimagined? Well, I think we have a bit of disagreement here. I'm going to go reimagined. So I don't know why I wrote loose. <laughs> it's absolutely reimagined. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I yeah. absolutely agree with you. Um, I think I just wrote loose as like a placeholder. Or I just didn't think about it. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you maybe you just didn't write anything and you just copied and pasted this. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I forgot is, we were, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but it is, I would say it's definitely reimagined. It's quite different from the book, um, as we'll get into, but do we want to start with, um, the differences? Well, I wanted to, to flag quickly, like what I think is actually similar, which is some of the like broader mm-hmm. ideas of both of these, which is like the banality of evil, which we talked yep. about before, but like the sort of day to day task oriented lives of the germans who were in the third reich and participated in concentration camps and all that Mm -hmm. um and then also the human capacity for denying or ignoring injustice the sort of like shrugging shoulders we won't we can't do we we like can't do anything so we won't do anything yeah sort of idea it's a good point i think we should probably add this as like a as similarities as like a section uh potentially to these these episodes but that's definitely true. Um, the banality of evil um, features heavily in the film as well as the book. 
Um, yeah, so I totally agree. Should we get into the differences? I think I think the banality of evil is also a Banksy um, painting. So is it? You couldn't afford it. We could. <laughs> I couldn't afford it. It's probably shredded. Honestly, we should get him on the podcast. Yeah, we should ask him. See if he's available. Do you know who he is? I think they he, he it came out recently, right? Did it? I think so. Dude, I think it did. If I, I was him, I would just why. like stick to the bit. Well, I don't think I think somebody found out and said it. I don't think I don't know if he no. actually came out. That's too bad. If you're Banksy, like, how can you even have? I actually don't really care. I don't care who he is. <laughs> I just want him to be Banksy. I don't really care. It's kind of like, like Batman, right? Like, I guess a certain number of people need to know who Batman is so he can like, yeah. do his thing. Yeah. But if everyone knows, then it's kind of ruined. Yeah. Like, who's that crazy guy in the bat suit that's just like beaten up? <laughs> it's just fucking. What's this guy doing? Yeah. Can you imagine if there was a Batman, like a real life Batman? If it, it was actually like Elon Musk or like, yeah, <laughs> like, uh, who's like a big, real it would have estate. to be Elon Musk. It would have to be right. Yeah. Or like Bill Gates. You know? He probably visions himself more as an Iron Man. I bet. Yeah. Mark, <clears throat> Mark uh, Zuckerberg. He does like jujitsu. Jiu- That's true. So he's that getting one true. step closer. Wow. Interesting. Just drop, drop the, the he... though. Just <laughs> Batman. <laughs> Love that. Uh, cool let's get into the differences um the names so eric tell me a little bit about that yeah so in the book um as mentioned we have paul and hannah Dahl. these are ciphers for rudolph and hedwig haas mm-hmm. who are real people um in the film they're called the king and queen of auschwitz um and then i guess there's a different name for auschwitz in the book you, it's like a cow I can't remember it. I'd have to look it up again. Yeah, but they don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure they don't say Auschwitz, but it, it's like probably taken to be that given that Paul and Hannah Dahl are, are meant to be the people that run Auschwitz. Yeah. Um, obviously the movie uses the names. So obviously we, we mentioned that Martin Amos writes in this space a lot. He's very knowledgeable. Um, however, the, given all that, I think as a writer, it's a bit using fake names allows you to more easily write around objective truth just for the sake of, of story. Um, I think using real names in the movie lays, lays it out, like lays out the naked truth of the history. It emphasizes that these were real people doing real things. Um, and that what you're looking at is like somewhat objective truth. Although there is the element of like, Sometimes we kind of fudge things to make the story a little bit better. This movie doesn't really care about doing that because mm-hmm. there's no, like we'll talk about the narrative in a second, but it's not super concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, I, you know, there is the risk of seven ways Oppenheimer, the movie, like differed from real life as like a, a way the internet sort of, yeah the internet discourse operates, which right. it's like the worst part of the internet. Yeah, horrible. Not the worst part of the internet, but <laughs> one of the, one, one of, of the, the worst. One of the worst parts of the internet. <laughs> It's up there. Probably not in like the top five, but you know, <laughs> it's on the list. We should make a list. We should do some research. And I think the worst parts of the internet are honestly like in this movie and yeah. in this book already. <laughs> Probably. Uh, <honestly. laughs> but yeah. So what do you think about that? Are you, are you like, well, I think it's, Im- it's important to like frame, uh, especially the film around somebody who really existed. Um, especially with what they're trying to do. Um, because it doesn't really make sense to have a fake character or like a different character's name if you're basically going to be um you're trying you the film is basically trying to get you to see how 
but now essentially evil is and how like similar essentially their day-to-day lives were with one obviously major difference to our lives today um what's the difference <laughs> i think i think we sorry know. Okay. <laughs> but um yeah for so like there's no real benefit to having a fake character like a somebody who didn't exist you might as well incorporate that real person in um and plus it it also allows you to if you're interested to like find out who this uh, Rita Foss guy is right is that how you say it Rita Foss? I think so yeah um in case you weren't aware which I was not um so even learning a little bit more about it is just helpful for your worldview and all that so yeah I think that's a important difference yeah I feel like the history of cinema has kind of played fast and loose with that sort of stuff like we went from Citizen Kane very much about like William Randolph Hearst but yeah. they make that movie with a fake name because uh, you know you can't you couldn't say that name because he controlled all the newspapers but right. everyone kind of knew it was a failure because he controlled the newspapers and was like don't watch this movie and now we get to like the part where we're basically making like fictionalized documentaries of people mm-hmm. that are signed off by the a state like mm-hmm. this Bob Marley movie that comes out or right. other movies like that. And so it's like, well, you can use the real name because you need to sell the movie, but you can't tell, you actually can't tell the truth because we won't let like the nuances and like the, the darknesses or the unsavory bits mm-hmm. on screen. Yeah. So it's like, you're using the, you're using the truth to sell it, but you're not actually putting the truth in it. Right. And it, that's, that's why you get the, like, you know, the articles about the, differences or like the fakeness like right, what's right, right. what's not true because yeah. you sell it as truth and then it's really you take license yeah. or you un- like purposefully change yeah. the facts yeah but um yeah no i agree Good. um character perspectives talk yeah. to me about that yeah as we said earlier the b- book has three main perspectives thompson uh paul Dahl, and this smuzzle um guy each are written in first person so there's a lot of interiority there's you know interior thoughts perspective in this way and in this way we we both get the like german and the jewish perspective we get both the victim and the oppressed people yeah and the film we stick almost entirely to rudolph and to a, a lesser extent hedwig his his wife there's no voiceover either so it's a pretty objective third person perspective mm-hmm. um and this is where I want to talk about. This is like, I think the most consequential decision made by the filmmakers. It's the film is shot like a reality show. I think Jonathan mm-hmm. Glazer described the film as being big brother in a Nazi house. I think they, they rebuilt this house. They hid 10 cameras in it and just let the actors like go about their day mm-hmm. and captured it all. And you know, from the, whether it's the angles or the look or whatever, um, it sort of feels like you are watching like the zoo animals move about the zoo as the viewer of the film yeah likewise um it's been said there's basically like two movies going on in this one movie there's the movie you can see and there's the one you can hear and i think it's it's like the most effective part of this entire movie we talked about this before but making a holocaust film can be dicey given the idea that you're making entertainment out of out of trauma so the solution in this movie is to hear the drama while showing like the banal yeah right um you know nazis they're they're just like us they can compartmentalize with the best of them yeah um as with the decision i think to use the real names it basically just like 
you know having third person perspective basically just like lays it all out in bare text there's no internal rationalizing monologue there's just reality there's no room for anyone to hide anything it's just you're showing you're just showing it yeah and it's like i think probably the closest you could get to documentary style or like yeah. cinema verite style mm-hmm. um in a, in a film yeah it's an interesting way to frame the story um and it's just not really done i guess you're like you mentioned it's it's more of a documentary style um big brother style uh but for like a big time film big time movie um and i don't know for me it was um certainly very interesting to kind of live with these people for two hours um and it's just it's very it's a very odd experience like it's a very makes you feel different things um as you're trying to understand what's happening um but it's definitely a like this is probably the biggest difference from obviously the book um for obvious reasons it's i feel like it's harder to probably write this novel um than it would be to shoot this film but did you like it I, I liked it a lot. I think, you know, from the w- well-meaning perspective, you probably, your instinct would probably be to try to give the victim perspective, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, yeah. it, w- it would be hard just to like put yourself out there with a book that's literally just about like the evil people. Right. Um, And I feel like the book gets like 85% of the way there. And the movie was basically just like, love that idea. Mm-hmm. What if we literally just did this? Right. And it's obvious, like, who the evil people are. But the real point is, like, they're not even... They don't even care. Right, right, right. They're so evil that, honestly, like, the worst part of their day (laughs) is, like, when the food gets burnt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) They have birthdays. They give each other gifts. They do all the same normal stuff. It's just, you know... Yeah, and then... It's like, what's the Christopher Walken quote from SNL? Like, when he's Bruce Dickinson, I put my pants on the same way as you, like, one leg at a time. But after that, you know... I made gold-plated records. And yeah. th- these people are like, oh, we do that. And then also... Uh, <laughs> this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's... You actually don't see them performing the uh, heinous acts that were committed. It's really more of like a, the corporate perspective. Yeah, like the bureaucratic. And the, yeah, and the daily life perspective of like, this is the family that lives here. This is Rudolf Haas. And this is how he's dealing with sort of the, the Nazi Germ- Germany government, essentially, and how things are run right what do they need in order to do these things what are, what is the engineering behind it what is the budget behind it yeah it's like all these things that we wouldn't at least for me i would never think about because obviously something as heinous as this would, would you know attract all of the attention and sympathy right um so it's interesting to sort of take that perspective away in a sense not totally away but like sort of minimize it and focus on um like the everyday stuff um like we mentioned before and it's almost like i don't i wouldn't say it's more chilling but it's it's certainly a different type of eeriness yeah so yeah i feel like it's kind of like an evolutionary step in like the filmmaking mode of dealing with this right because it's Mm. like the thing michael haneke was talking about there's a moment in schindler's list when one of the characters turns on a shower and the like drama in that moment is that it's you're it's not clear if it's going to be water 
or like gas oh. that comes out of the shower head. And so he then he's like, well, you're making, that's like a traumatic moment in the history of the world. And it, it's now like dramatic fodder. Yeah. Yeah. And this is basically like, forget all that. We're not doing in a that. way. Cause yeah. you still get like the screams and the gunshots and all this stuff that yeah. you can hear. Um, but not showing it, I suppose has power in like withholding the thing, you know, to be true. Yeah. Like you kind of know what's going on. Yeah. But we're not going to show it to you. Yeah. It's this weird, like opposite. I feel like the audience is having sort of an opposite reaction to these things than the people who are in the film. Like for me, it's like, I'm hearing these things like what's, what's going on is you're, I'm trying to piece it together. Is, is that a gunshot? Is somebody running away? Something else happening? Whereas the people who are living right next door are literally just tuning it out. Um, yeah. It's sort of this opposite, um, I guess, interaction with, with what's, what's happening. Yeah. Like there's that moment early on when he goes through and turns off all the lights in the house. It's like, that's the thing to be done, right? You yeah, gotta yeah. lock the doors, you gotta yes. turn off all the lights. That's what happens where you go to bed. Yeah. You read some bedtime stories. There's yep. a moment where he's reading to his kid. Kind of a messed up story, but yeah, he was reading I can't a remember. bedtime story. Um, then, you know, he's got a separate bed from his wife and they, yep. they talk to each other and yep. they go to bed. And she wants to go to, she's like, I want to go on a trip. I want to go to the, yeah. I think she said skiing or something. Um, but yeah, very everyday stuff, very normal stuff. They're hanging out by their pool. Or was it a pool or was it a garden? Pool. I think it was a pool, yeah. Yeah, they have a small pool. Um, with a slide? With a slide, yes. With a wooden yeah. slide. Didn't look to be that oh, yeah. like, <laughs> slick, you know. Yeah. Like there's some Put splinters. Put some oil on it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the character perspective is certainly interesting. It's probably the biggest, I don't know, marketing is not the right word, but like the biggest um, selling point of this movie where for people to tell other people to go see it. Yeah. It's not your normal Holocaust movie. It's bit different yeah I, I i like that there's no there's no opportunity for anyone to really rationalize things you don't get the internal monologue that says like mm. oh, today i woke up a bit tired and you know i still had to do it right it's just yeah. like this is literally it's what just, you did yeah it, it actually doesn't matter how you felt how or, you felt yeah this you, is what happened you did it yeah. um there's a moment in um i can't remember if I, we're gonna talk about this in a second but there's a moment in the in the afterward or the acknowledgements that Amos talks about the like why behind mm. all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's like the one thing that nobody knows about this part of world war two is like, Interesting. You, cause you like simply cannot understand it. Yeah. It, it like is impossible for any normal person to comprehend. Right. And it's one of the hardest parts of getting into stories like this is like, there is, there actually is no why. Right. And there's no way you, you don't rationalize it. There's, there's no like deeper, explanation it's just like yeah we did a thing we we decided to do a thing there must have been there must be like social uh sociology sort of experiments around this stuff like how did you know an entire nation commit all these acts of heinous you know violence yeah i mean he was elected right but you know people get elected yeah (laughs) that's true right (laughs) now that's that's the scary part i know yeah yeah he was elected to be the leader of that country yeah and then he had some ideas he thought they were all just like ice people and then and then yeah he went, went, one a, little, thing went, went a, little, a little crazy yeah um but let's let's keep it moving here the narrative push talk to me about that what drives a narrative yeah so in the book i would say it's, it, the book is basically set along the fall of the third reich like i, th- I think it starts in 1942 ish and it's it's sort of 
it's said that like the spirit of the German people is is not as positive it was about the war effort as it used to be. There's a sort of decline of of what's going on. Um, but for the like, I would also say like the push of the narrative is Thompson trying to get with Hannah Dahl, mm-hmm. right? The love the love triangle. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that love triangle, spoiler if you haven't read the book, Paul Dahl kind of finds out that Hannah is has someone courting her mm-hmm. is falling in love with another guy she, he doesn't know who i don't think but sees like some of the love notes he can't quite figure it out and contracts uh, that's a, the wrong word but like gets asked muzzle to kill her for him yeah and he doesn't um and as a result paul kills smuzzle but it's basically like think of the the love triangle animating the choices of a lot of the characters yeah. in the book right in the in the movie it's much less character driven to me i think it's closer to this like slice of life story we talked about where they just are going about their days they have meetings they're managing the affairs of the household the closest we get is when rudolph is reassigned to become the deputy inspector of all concentration camps in Iranianburg, basically i think it's i don't know how you say that city yeah i'm not sure um it's near berlin and it stresses their marriage um but it doesn't really do anything to the plot right it's not like a very plotty movie. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, it's the, because she wants to stay, right? She is basically, has said, this is my dream life, um, which is, you know, wild uh, thing to say. But, like, she has everything she's ever wanted. She has her family all in one place in this great house with this great backyard, with this great garden, um, just, you know, on the other side of the wall of all of these heinous things. And he is being directed away and she doesn't want that. And she basically is like, I'm not going We're, you know, kids are in school. Like kids are doing well. Like it's such a, it's such a relatable thing. Right. Cause this yeah. happens probably all the time to people here in the U S and all across the world. But, um, and then eventually he comes back. Right. I, I think in the, in the film, he, and I think he's on a phone call and he says, yeah, I'm coming back or. Yeah. But he like doesn't this. come back. The right. film ends before he comes before, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, but anyways, yeah, so the narrative pushes a bit different. There isn't, you're, like you said, there isn't, that's like the one plot point, essentially. Yeah. Like the one thing that causes friction or tension, yeah. essentially. Yeah, there's a scene where he goes, it's like dinner time, and he like tells his kids that he's like moving. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could <laughs> so also- I won't be around for your birthdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. He does say that, actually. Uh, I, you could also argue that um, her mother leaving is another friction point for her character. Because if you remember, she actually lashes out at one of the um like servants servants there yeah. uh but how she could have them and her whole family killed yeah it's like a totally like horrible line yeah um that i won't butcher but um yeah so it's it's not really like you know a happens b c d e f all the way to z it's sort of like lots of things happen that aren't aren't necessarily all related uh, but yeah yeah and it's like it, it doesn't really even connect like you're saying, because he moves away and he has an affair. Like he might have multiple affairs with like various Jewish prisoners. Yeah, probably. Um, I think it's, I didn't see this like literalized in anything I read, but I feel like she has an affair with that gardener guy. He's like putting wood planks on top of the greenhouse and she like invites him inside the greenhouse where she is. And then it like, it sense the yeah. scene kind of ends. It felt like that. Yeah. It felt like that. Um, there was a little bit of tension there. Yeah. I think there's smoking in there as well. 
Well, you know what that leads to. Yeah. Usually that comes after, but now it just becomes (laughs) before. Um, Yeah. So, but like those moments don't um, like turn into anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just like, they just, it's just their life. Yeah. Um, But I think why I wanted to call attention to this is like when you think of a typical Hollywood movie, it's usually the sequence of events leading up to, and then the aftermath from like the most important moment in these characters in, in this protagonist's life. Right. In the life of the protagonist. This film like doesn't do that at all. There's there's nothing about the fall of Germany. There's nothing about like the U.S. finding these concentration camps. Mm-hmm. These people don't get tried for their crimes. They don't go to prison. It's just sort of like a couple of months in 1943, yep. and the movie ends. Um, and I think it's I think it's just a really good way of flipping the audience's expectations of the story. It doesn't show yeah. someone behaving badly in normal situations doesn't show the person like fixing the you know rot of society it shows like it show it 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 takes for granted that you know this is fucked up yeah and it just says like you could actually have a normal life in like this fucked up place and because everyone is having a normal life that's why the place continues to be fucked up yeah it's a sort of idea that like i know there's that there's that quote where um you've seen it. it it comes around every so often but it's like when this happened like i didn't do anything and it went away and then this happened and i didn't do anything again and it went away and then like when it was my turn to be taken there was no one left to do anything. right 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 i right. was like the last and it's, it's sort of like the feeling that this movie gets it's like yeah. no one says anything no one does anything they just go along with that it just it just it just persists yeah um and there's like a remarkability in how unremarkable the life can be when you're not there's nothing stopping like yeah what's happening yeah i don't know i thought it was very effective yeah no i agree um and then rationalizing evil we kind of discussed this but i think it probably is worth mentioning again that that's kind of the point of the whole movie is to make you understand that these people were not necessarily monsters they were actually more similar to you and i than you you may want to think right um but yeah yeah so in the book we should probably say there's there's a moment i guess we talked about like hannah doll does have misgivings about what's happening for yeah. paul paul has no misgivings that's true and that's kind of what brings hannah to thompson because thompson's like hey this is kind of there's like he has he feels something yeah and that's what sort of brings them together and at, after everything they remain alive and have a meeting and he's always loved her and it's basically like i've always you know i've always loved you you have two beautiful kids like you don't have a husband like maybe we should be together. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I liked you back then too. But like every time I see you now, I'm just going to think of back then. Yeah. And it's very painful memory. And it's like the weight of memory um, that's on her shoulders. And she just can't do that. Yeah. But there, there's like nuance into that. Like some of those people were reckon, recognize what was going on. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the movie, not, no one, one character recognizes it and it's yeah. her mother. Right. Cause her mother comes in to help care for the kids or for a birthday or whatever. And then one night, like, can't sleep because of, like, the red fire-flamed mm. camp out her window. She can hear the screams. It's, like, it looks horrific. Yeah. They don't show it, but, I mean, the, 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 like, lighting is horrific. Yeah. And she just up and leaves. And that's when Hedwig gets mad. But Hedwig doesn't care. Like, you said, like, she's, we can't leave Auschwitz. Like, right, right, right. It's <laughs> great here. It's a great place. <laughs> um, it, to be fair, it was a great house. Great house, great yard. Great house. Just small pool place poorly that pool could have been better. well that's true uh great nice garden there's yeah. a whole scene where they walk through the garden 
And yeah. there's like a, in the beginning of the movie, her like newborn, she kind of like lets her smell each of the flowers. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do. You know, you smell the flowers. Smell the flowers. But in this, I wanted to talk about the ending yes. of the movie because um, he, you mentioned Rudolph calling home and basically being like, I'm coming back. Right. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. But it's, there's a, there's a moment where he's like, I was at this party and I couldn't enjoy it because I just thought to myself, how quickly could I gas all these people? Mm. And like, that's the only thing I can think about now is just like, how quickly can I kill everyone I see? Yeah. That's like his, how his brain has been rewired. Yeah. Um, and he has this call with his wife in which he tells her that. And then that he's coming back and then he's leaving his office to go home basically mm-hmm. and it starts to dry heave yes yeah on the stairwell on the stairwell as he's coming all the way down and for a moment when i was watching i was like oh my god is he just gonna die is this mm. like he's just gonna drop dead mm-hmm. but the movie cuts to like modern times basically like a auschwitz museum i think it is the auschwitz museum and it's people like uh cleaning the floors wiping down windows and it shows you this like giant exhibit of all these pairs of shoes and all this luggage and all this stuff. Yeah. And then it cuts back to him like getting it together basically and continuing to walk. Right. And then the movie ends. Well, I think there's an important detail we should mention is that he is like looking down the hallways because he's aware. Right. He's sort of aware of this sort of, I don't know what exactly you call it, but like this break in the, you know, space-time continuum yeah for you know a bad example but like he's aware that something's amiss something's wrong and there's these really dark hallways right where you cannot see past like 10 feet basically where he's kind of looking down but he doesn't see anything uh, i think there might be one or two cuts to to him back where he's kind of looking around and seeing um something is amiss and it's a it's a really interesting sort of like i don't want to say jaw-dropping but like sort of like surreal experience watching it you're like what the fuck's going on like, yeah what did you make of it what did you think well was i happening? was confused i was like and then once i mean they kind of it's it's interesting because they kind of stay on the i'm not sure what you call it but like the custodians or whoever work at the um yeah. the museums they're getting everything ready for the day to like to for people to come and 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 um tour the museum they stay on it for like a few minutes um watch them clean the glass like you mentioned and after a while, I was like, okay, so I guess we're just here now. And then it cuts back. And then I'm like, and then you see his reaction. He's like, not really sure what's going on. He's like kind of disoriented. You're like, oh, this is like, he's reacting to this. He's understanding that something's happening. Um, And I, I was, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are. But like, I think it was some sort of uh, the way that I interpret it is, is like, um, sort of a break in the space time continuum, if you will. And like, sort of t- telling him like like you're like um this is sort of the halls of history uh and you are like essentially on the wrong side of it um i guess that's that's probably a poor way to describe it but that was how i felt watching it yeah yeah i i definitely felt similarly i i read it sort of as like he's he's reckon he's reckoning with it in that moment yeah and it's like he's throwing up because he's sick of what he's done 
and what he's thinking about is like the future when it there's like the total of all he's done Mm -hmm. and it's just like laid bare this is this is the work that you've done and now we're like and then in like a sort of a a parallel way it's just these people like doing their day-to-day work around the same thing but all for them as well yeah so these people are also kind of like they're cleaning this is our life they're sweeping the floor this is and it's also like day-to-day work yeah and it's it's also kind of removed from like the thing yeah um but then i I think what's kind of like crucially important to me was that he doesn't actually throw up right he's not actually he's like almost there yeah yeah, but he's not fully like disgusted with himself he's not fully sickened yeah he kind of like gets it together and he's like yeah, I think does he walk off? I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. I think he just walk yeah. continues to walk down. So he could, it's it's one of those things where he sort of ends up being able to live with himself. Yeah, he's able to to like not Stomach reconcile, it. or he's able to reconcile like what he's doing and the history of it all. Yeah, or like the 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 uh, whatever what the outcome. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, he's qu- he he quite literally stomachs his yes. his own realization of what like he's done. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which is yeah, it's it's a it's certainly an interesting choice from the director and I feel like it is surreal, maybe surreal is the wrong word in a sense of posing these two times in collision with each other like this. Yeah. Um and I feel like it takes a lot of creativity to think of something like this. Like how you how you come up with a thought like what if we just like he just become six with himself and we show you know what the auschwitz museum you know really is is like today um i'd be interested to hear what he because uh, i don't think i've seen the interview where he they he's discussed that idea of bringing that forward probably because it's a spoiler <laughs> um but yeah it's quite an interesting ending i feel like a different movie from a different director would just end with the like the sweeping into the museum right like maybe it yeah. would just show that and then it would yeah be like here's what he did and then it ends but it, it goes back to him yeah which is, i think is like the to your point like the real creative yeah um like genius of it all is just like nope yeah it doesn't bother me right like <laughs> i'm gonna keep going yeah 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 it's wild it's um it's a wild movie but so actually so i saw this um at uh, afi silver spring and they actually had so it was like a special advanced screening, not to brag or anything. <laughs> there was actually a an, an A24 row as I was walking because you could just kind of sit anywhere, but there was a full row blocked out for A24 people. Wow. I should have fucking stayed and tried to connect with those people. They probably saw me. He's like, this guy's definitely a fanboy. Like, Look at this fucking guy out of here. He's got our swag. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, sorry, not to derail, but because you saw it recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it last week. Yeah. Yeah, you saw it a while ago. Yeah, well, I saw it because I you see it last year. Or you see it it is December. It was December like seventh or something. Um, because I saw it on my because I get these on my Instagram feed and stuff. I was like, oh fuck, I have to. I, I'm definitely buying a ticket. Like fuck it. What am I doing on a Tuesday night or whatever it was? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, anything else to discuss? Well, I remember we want to talk about like, I, I, this the film starts. And there's a moment later on, there's like a, it's just like a black screen that persists for like a minute or maybe longer. And it's very low sound. Yeah. 
and then there's a red screen later on that's mm-hmm. held for like a minute and yeah. low sound similar um and it, it was almost to the point where i was like is this is this messed up that's what i thought too yeah because <laughs> i had this i had a thing happen to me in where i saw angelica mosaic with poor things where it was messed up oh that's funny and it was the last movie i saw there and i was like oh my god here we again. go again yeah but this this theater was way more full and i was like dude what is wrong with this theater and then it and then you hear the music and then it like starts to move and you're like oh yeah okay so it's almost like a a way to get you to focus more yeah it's like come out of where you're from you're in something else now yeah like give yourself over to this yep you can't i know you can't really sit here and watch a black screen for 90 seconds without getting antsy right but it's sort of like a a way to test that you're fully invested if you can do that then we'll pull you in i love that thought i love that thought a lot um yeah because it does because you you're literally like what the fuck's happening yeah and you have no other choice really i mean i guess you could ignore it if you wanted but it's such a different film experience to what we're used to yeah when you're at home your that phone's out right yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) you're like what the fuck yeah um yeah that's a that's a great point i kind of thought it was like a a a transport through time like here we're we're actually like you are transporting us back to 1940 whatever it is 1930 something um and then we're there but i don't know i I think i like i don't maybe it could be interpreted in a number of different ways probably but i like the how its effect is to make you focus and to bring you into the experience uh it's pretty powerful yeah and then the red one threw me off though because of the color but also like its placement in the story and like why do it sort of in the middle like there wasn't anything that really happened i think it was from the garden scene where they were looking maybe at a rose Mm. or something where they kind of zoomed in i think and then it kind of just went all red it was there for a while but also that was i think another turning point where they added more sound like you could hear more of the yeah machinery or whatever we're going to call it of auschwitz where you hear you know obviously the the horror um is that was that what your experience was i think that's right yeah and the redness of it all is like things are getting bloodier things are getting more dangerous that's true and so this is this is like i mean it's like an act break too or it's just like here's we're turning we're turning things up in a different way now right things you you see in red you're it's you maybe you're about to get angry yeah yeah right like things are Things are changing. Things are changing. Um, yeah. So those are really cool. It's 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 some you know it's it's fun to kind of have these new experiences in in films um, where it's just sort of like I don't want to say disorienting. Probably is disorienting in, in the in the moment where you're like, what the f- what the fuck's going on? Um, and kind of talk about it later and discuss it because it doesn't have to tell you why that happened. Yeah. It has no obligation to do that for you. Yeah. Although I'm sure I'm sure people were probably upset by it because they, you know, weren't told. But it is what it is. Yeah, they like the trailers to tell them everything. <laughs> how the story ends. Yeah, yeah. they want to be made happy. Oh my god! Uh, and then the night vision and the and the Polish girl who uh, at at night would basically I think she would hide apples. Yeah, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that. She was hiding apples next to like the shovels. That's right. That the workers would use. So That's right. I think somebody working to like help these prisoners like get fed survive find yeah. nourishment yeah survive and it was shot all in night vision to i think probably underscore the like illicit nature as if you kind of needed that but like yeah it was she was risking it 
um, for the betterment of like the people there, which I don't know if that was. So we thought it was just like a Polish. It wasn't a member of the house, right? She lived in a different house, but it wasn't. I think she was, um, she may have worked at the camp. Yeah, you're right. Something. I can't remember. I have to watch it again. Yeah. But maybe not. So I did, when I did a little bit of research, actually, I found that this was inspired by a real person Mm. and somebody that Jonathan Glazer met as like a 90 year old woman who said that, that she did this. Yeah. And it inspired him to like want to do this at all. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I also, I think I read the same thing where I think it was her bike and her clothes yes. that the actor actress wore and, yeah. and rode the bike, uh, which That's is kind of wild. <laughs> like how did you keep a 90 year old bike in, yeah. in tune? Like, yeah. Um, pretty wild story. You gotta though. be confident on that bike too. Imagine yeah. if you like <laughs> just, crash or something take a, take a sharp turn terrible and that would that, that would be tough i want to ask you though like what did you think do you think it was necessary to have the night fishing like sort of like the rainbow six you know uh night fishing goggles for it was like a I, there's a term for it, it's like thermal yeah imaging yeah, yeah, yeah. well I, I think it kind of lended itself to the idea that he like really didn't want to show you what was going on in this in this place like you really didn't want to go over the wall he didn't really want to show you what was happening and so like we'll show it to you as if you're like tracking an animal right overnight like you're looking for a deer or like a scared creature that is you know moves in, in is nocturnal moves in the night whatever but i'm not going to show you anything in color i'm not going to give you the satisfaction of like feeling better right you're going to see it as it probably felt which was like a scared person moving in the shadows very fast yeah doing all that stuff yeah so i feel like kind of it felt to a piece although it obviously being a night vision was kind of jarring but yeah it felt like a feeling felt right really that makes sense it felt i don't know for me it felt out of place i think if we didn't have the first scene and the middle scene with the red it would have been completely like what the fuck like why is this why is this here um but I think because of those two scenes, it sort of helped the sense of like, okay, this is going to be something different and sort of opened your mind, opened my mind a little bit more to like, you know, accepting whatever was in, put in front of me. Yeah. The rules of the movie allowed it yeah. to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it didn't necessarily need to be that, the thermal imaging. Um, I would have been totally fine with sort of just a night scene where they're following a girl plays in apples maybe has just the the light of the moon right to use to shoot but yeah yeah. i mean its placement in there at all is interesting because it's like because it's so not about that to show it at all yeah is it's like there's this good point there's there is somebody working she's kind of like the antagonist of the story in a way yeah right yeah she's the one subverting the nazis alive yeah, yeah in a way yeah and if the protagonist is just the Germans, then it's like, this is, this is who we're actually fighting against. Yeah, right. The Germans. And we've already rounded everyone we wanted to round up. Yeah. It's now a, a matter of like, you know, doing what they're doing. Right. Keeping she's, she's kind of stopping that. Yeah. In a way. <clears throat> yeah, it is a, it is kind of a, an odd scene because it is, it is very unrelated to the story although the story is arguable yeah um at first i thought she was gathering apples 
That's what I thought first. To like escape. Yeah. (laughs) And then it was clear that she was placing them for people to eat. Yeah. But yeah, it's certainly interesting nonetheless. Um, Yeah. Any other differences you wanted to mention? Everything else. Everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I I think probably he, like we're saying, like he, he definitely got the book. Yeah. And was like, I have a whole different take. I love the idea of like focusing on Germans, but what if we went like way further? Yeah. Yeah. And he's 24 is like, love it. Yeah. <laughs> go further. Please yeah. even go further. Yeah. Um, so was this a su- successful adaptation? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it doesn't explain away anything, which mm-hmm. I think is probably what Martin Amos would have like felt yeah. like was true to his work and, and him. Um, you just can't get in the minds of these people. And so why try? Yeah. Right. <laughs> why try? So, yeah. What do you think? I agree. I mean, I thought it was, um, it's certainly very different. So it's hard to say, is it a successful adaptation? But I think it's, it's, you know, it's successful in the sense of taking sort of this core idea of what Martin Amos was talking about and making his own thing or like running with that idea and continuing it essentially. So I would say so. The idea survives. The idea survives. Um, Do we like the movie? Yeah. I thought this was great. Yeah. I think I, I'm, Thinking about changing my rankings to favorite movies of the year. Like I Ooh. like this that much. Nice. It's like okay. really high for me. Um what are your rankings? Can we ask? When we did it on the pod, I think I had Killers of the Flower Moon first. Oh, that's right. So it's probably like this and that. And the Okay. No Oppenheimer? I watched that again and I I still like it a lot. Not number one though. No. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people think Killers is like the best of the year. Like the one that will be considered like the best in 10 years time or no one's ever going to watch it again yeah maybe late periods that's another hard one yeah hard story yeah it's hard when it's three and a half hours i think like people don't want to necessarily like revisit that if you think about our like the spectrum of films this year you have zone of interest holocaust oppenheimer atom bomb tons of death killers of fire moon tons of death and barbie right it's like yeah. quite uh, <laughs> american fiction like race yeah um and that's it there's no other yeah, that's it yeah there's no other movie <laughs> we, we brought it back down to five yeah um cool and then hot takes i'll go first um this is it for me this is the last holocaust movie that needs to be made ever again i think i think this is sort of peak pinnacle like there's nothing else to explore i think mm. right there's nothing else that needs to be said although I think there's a new one coming out with um, Jesse Eisenberg and Kieran Culkin or whichever the succession guys. It's apparently like it's related to the Holocaust, but it's not a Holocaust film. Like it's not essentially about the Holocaust. It's like the the tone of that. feels interesting. Yeah. Given those, the names. Well, you're welcome. Okay. (laughs) What's yours? I feel like Auschwitz would be a nice place to live, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have a good one. What you didn't like this one? The one you were down? Isn't that what I said? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so we talked about like the results of World War Two. World War Two, like not a lot of people having kids, people generally down on the world. Um the Hitler dies, world the en- war ends, you know, men come home, and then the baby boom generation happens. And uh it just like it never stops. And so the world is now supremely overpopulated. 
um, and everything. And it's attributed it's, to it's Hitler. It's all yeah. his fault. <laughs> it's all his fucking he fault. He inspired like overpopulation because Did he encouraged everyone. He made everyone happy. Yeah. He made everyone very sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he made them, and then he made them very happy. Do you think to like, um, be alive? You know? do, you, do you think it's also his fault that housing prices have gone through the roof? I was thinking that too. He, well, he took over Germany that was like hyper inflated. Oh really? And he, I think I don't know how the inflation. I think it probably got better slightly. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, because but he I'm created the, the baby, baby boomer boom. generation, yeah, I think he, saying. yeah, he unleashed an evil so deep. <laughs> this is his real plan. Yeah. So now we can't even get houses. He didn't so. want millennials to buy houses. Yeah, he knew. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> In 80 years, you guys are going to be so pissed. <laughs> you know like, how you feel like now. This, I was just, like, <laughs> just wait. Thanks a lot, Hitler. Um, movie or book? I said movie. Yeah, I said film. Wow. But movie. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the final, this one, that one's easy for me, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not really debatable uh, for me as well. Uh, final thoughts. Great film. will probably be forgotten in five years' time. I think this is one... I kind of was going back and forth on this. I think it... Like nobody's gonna really rewatch this. I feel like, like this is something that real, like cinephiles will probably come back to every once in a while, just to like be in awe of the storytelling, the surrealism, the narrative. The you know not the narrative, but like how it was made, stuff like that. But not necessarily come back to it. Maybe for the acting as well. But I feel like this will kind of people will kind of forget about this. This won't be one that people like La La Land. People still talk about today. This won't be one of those. Probably true. But Probably not, not a hot take, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it doesn't help that it's like world cinema for rewatchability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also. I mean, I know we. It really doesn't matter, but we do tend to think of these things as in like years. Yeah, and like if you think of twenty thirteen, twenty twenty three. Jesus, you're probably gonna think of Barbie or Oppenheimer. Yeah, for and then sure. you, maybe you think of like Killers of the Flower Moon or yeah. other movies, Guardians Three or whatever. Some of the popcorn things. Yeah, yeah. Um, before you get to this, you're probably right. Like on the remembrance list, it's probably lower. Do you think? Um, Unless it wins a real big award. Yeah, I was gonna say sneakily. like, do you think it has a chance to win? Probably not, like director or picture. Like, what do you think its chances are? Bad. Yeah. What do they say in Oppenheimer? Like near zero? <laughs> near zero. Yeah, near zero. I think Oppenheimer is going to win everything else. That's what it's trending towards. Picture director, both Do you actings. think that's right? Do you think that's like the correct decision? Like in five years time, are we going to look back and be like, eh, like um, Green Book, like was Green Book worthy? It depends on how you view the Oscars. Do you think it should go to like objectively the best movie that came out that year? Or do you think it should go to the movie of the year? Because you could definitely make an argument that Oppenheimer is the movie of the year. For sure. If you think about 2023, that's the movie you're going to think about. Yeah. And probably Barbie. Right. And they're kind of tied together. Right. Like it's in a way like Barbenheimer should win the year. For sure. It should just be called Barbenheimer. It should give it (laughs) It to both. It should just be one movie. Yeah. Like you guys, like last year, you know, Top Gun Maverick maybe. Like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can disagree on like how good you thought it was, but it. It was like the the movie that everyone was talking about yeah. all year for the yeah. longest amount of time. Yeah. And then you get to like things like 2017 or whatever, Shape of Water. It's like that. Was that movie the best movie of the year? No. Is that even the movie of the year that people were talking about? No. Right. You just sort of gave the, you gave it an award and you gave it this shine that it 
that will make it forever. But like, if you were alive in 2017, you weren't having shape of water conversations necessarily. Right. Yeah. And I feel like Coda was probably a big benefactor of that as well. Even everything everywhere all at once to a certain extent. Yeah. So it is kind of the movie of the year award, but it's and, not but it's really. Not. Well, because of shape of water and others, you know, green book, the, right? Yeah. Like, the, um, what was the one? The artist, the black and white. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it is kind of, Depends. they do kind of, yeah go back and forth on it and it's basically like a marketing ceremony that's true too so it's hard because you want it to be this like holy thing but it's really not yeah it was created because all of the labor in hollywood was like pissed off at how they were being treated and the studios were like well what if we let you dress up real fancy and gave you some gold (laughs) that make you feel better about like getting no money and all this stuff and they're like kind of yeah Yeah, kind of that's funny so it's evil wow that's what i'm saying capitalism baby it's the banality of evil that's like the oscars (laughs) Like, do you think, do you think the zone of interest, I guess my question is, do you think the zone of interest will be considered like the best film from this year? Like in whatever, five to 10 years time. I guess that's kind of the point I was trying to get at. Yeah. Cause I feel like it probably is. It probably will be. If not, it'll be like top three. It'll be yeah killers that, and maybe Oppenheimer or some anatomy of a fall or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, uh, especially because people won't be rewatching it necessarily. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, I watched that movie back then and it was really good. Yeah. Don't want to really rewatch jarring. it again. So you'll right. never like see the faults because you'll never look for them. Right, right. <laughs> like you're, people are going to rewatch Oppenheimer and be like, oh, Killian Murphy is supposed to be like a Lothario. Yeah, right, right. Word. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. but Killian Murphy doesn't really have like the riz. The writ. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he needs to call that. The just whatever club we created. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I feel like you more times you watch something, the more flaws you'll see in For it. For sure. But like if you not if you don't ever watch it again, you're never gonna see the flaws. Yeah. Flaws are hidden forever. That's but you'll true. remember the initial feeling and it'll get rosier over time. Do you think what do you think about the Moonlight La La Land? I think that was really created by the error. So do you think like now I, I don't know how long it's been since maybe eight years? I think that was yeah, twenty sixteen that those movies came out. Um do you think like that was the right decision, number one, and then do you think like Moonlight or Lila Land are like, is like the better film now? Well, so that's the example, perfect example. Like La La Land is the film of the year in 2016. Right. Yes. Right. But it like was. Moonlight was probably better. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways it's great actually that they're tied up in that way. You really yeah. don't have, you can't really think of Moonlight now without thinking about La La Land. True. It's such an important moment. Yeah. And it kind of bought the Oscars like more time. They bought them more relevance until Will Smith came in, uh, <laughs> smack Chris Slapped Rock. Shit out of yeah. Oh man. Is that like, that might be one of my, like probably my all time favorite moment was the <laughs> <It's> assault. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The, the moonlight. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. 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 Although the Will Smith slap was probably my number, my number two. Yeah. That made me feel terrible. I was watching that live. I was about to go to bed cause it was so yeah. dull. And then we saw that. I'm like, Oh my God. Will Smith. I like, I immediately was in shock. And then I was immediately like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I think it was just like. Well, you're Will Smith pilled. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely a Will Smith guy. Yeah. But it's like, it was such a wild moment that I was like, oh, this is great entertainment. Yeah. This is what the Oscars are for. And then he gave a speech. It was yeah. like unbelievable. <laughs> they didn't arrest him. No. I wonder if they're cool, him and Chris Rock. Probably not. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think they're super tight. 
we should get him on the pod and ask him to yeah. hash it out i think i mean i feel bad for chris rock now because that's going to be like first sentence of obituary <laughs> it's like comedian who was once slapped by will yeah. smith at the oscars so will smith has a show now on was it hulu or something where he like does adventures and i was like oh shit yeah. is this it like is, it, is he done because i remember his his movie emancipation yeah was panned by critics I, I never saw it so i wasn't sure if that was like people are like fuck will smith or if it was because it was actually a bad movie or not um and he hasn't done anything since he probably needs more time i think he's trying to do bad boys four yeah if that doesn't not? he's doing another bad boys i don't know if is it's four, it? i didn't know uh i don't know i know they did three right yeah not sure so maybe it's on four now yeah he i think he'll end up being a Okay, but he was already at like kind of a perilous. Well, I, he wasn't really at a perilous point at all because he was about to win his first Oscar. He was about, to, yeah. I mean, he, he did he, win. Yeah. Well, his it's funny because his career was like stalled. Yeah, wasn't in the gutter, but like he was making bad movies. Yeah, to bad movie. And then finally, King Richard came along, and then he was like, "Fuck that." And he would have gotten better work or better <laughs> like scripts sure. or whatever. For sure. So. In five years' time, what do you think is going to be the best from this year? <laughs> you keep Sorry. asking these questions. I don't want to answer it. Yes, answer it. Um, Kills of Flower Moon? Just say it. Or probably, but I don't, I don't think anyone's going to rewatch any of these movies. Yeah, I think probably. the movie that will be f- most rewatched will be Barbie. Yeah, probably. Probably. It's the most rewatchable. Yeah. Um. Okay, fair enough. That's what I got. That's what you got. Appreciate it. Um. Oh, yeah. You didn't tell us your final thought yet. Hedwig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah true. Yeah. I, one of my favorite moments from the movie is when she, Hedwig tries on um, a giant fur coat. Yeah. And so she first gets like this big bundle of clothes and like dumps them on the table and tells her servants to take what they want. And it's obviously like these are clothes from victims who have been killed. Uh, but she takes this giant fur coat for herself and like goes to her room, locks the door puts it on and kind of like admires herself. Um, and then it's like, you need to, we need to fix this. Like the coat's like ripped and broken, like make it nice. Mm-hmm. And then finds a tube of lipstick in the coat pocket and puts it on and like regards herself and then wipes it off. So it's, it's like a really crazy moment where she's basically like play acting as a person yeah. that they're, you know, that they're about to kill. Yeah. Um, and, but like knows enough to take the lipstick off too. Right. Where it's like, I'm looking at myself. I'm doing this thing. I'm going to keep this coat. I'm keep this lipstick. Yeah, it's nice. But I just wanted to look at it and then now I'm... Yeah. It's done. I can't be caught wearing this, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an odd moment. It's it's a... It's an evil. It's a very evil moment. Yeah, very evil. Yeah. She was probably the most... Do you think she was the most evil character in the movie? Um, She had the most outward evil, I feel like. Or like yeah. expressed evil. She's very like German. Yeah. Like, well, she's a German actress. And she's German. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah, but like very repressed. I feel yeah. like very like cold. Yeah. Love love Germany. Yeah. So. <laughs> Shout out Germany. Um, awesome. Cool. So anything else, Tad? Or can we sign off? Uh well should we make our picks for who we think will win best adapted screenplay? Should we do that right now? Here? Why not? Yeah. You have thoughts? Um well let me pull it up here. What's it's Oppenheimer, it's Barbie. It's Zone, it's Killers, and it's American Fiction. So we did three of the five, but we were never going to read Oppenheimer because it's too long. And then Barbie because it's a toy. (laughs) (laughs) You can't read toys. 
Speak the truth. What other? We, Tell us how you really feel. And I think the other episode we did would have been, or was it? Did Zone not? It Zone didn't get nominated. It's American Fiction. No, Killers didn't get nominated. Oh, remember? Right. Pull it up. All right, pull it. Up. I'm pulling it. Uh, American time, Fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Zone of Interest. So it was Killers that didn't get nominated, which is like kind of a fucking travesty. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was that's probably one of our favorites. Yeah. Like. I was about to pick it to win. <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> didn't realize it wasn't nominated. I mean, it's kind of a wild. I mean, the fact that Barbie gets in is just like, you know, this is, I think we had this conversation last Silly. time too. It's just. I think they basically told us that if it's IP, it's adapted. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. doesn't matter if it's not a written, it doesn't matter if it's not previously written or whatever. It's like if you, if it's based on previous characters, if it's based on a mm-hmm. toy, if it's based on. If it's a sequel, it's a it's all adapted. I wonder if this is like an old rule that they just haven't changed, because I don't think this was bef- like this hasn't happened before. Like, I don't know. I feel like this is a more recent thing. Yeah, like I, I don't remember. Maybe because they're making fewer movies or fewer like mainstream movies like this, you're now running into more sequels mm. in the pool, and maybe. the sequels are better. So like, yeah, so like The Dark Knight was The Dark Knight nominated for. A writing award. It was nominated. It wasn't nominated for picture. That's why they changed the rules. Let me look it up. But it was nominated for like acting awards, and was one of the movies of the year. But I wonder. I guess that's a comic book, so that'd be more obviously adapted if it were to be. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean those. That's pre-existing like material. Right. But like Borat Two, which is based on the characters from Borat One. I mean, that one was just outrageous. And then Top Gun 2. Or so, Top Gun, Colin Maverick. So, yeah. So, uh, Dark Knight nominated for, in the 2009 Academy Awards, Sport and Actor, Heath Ledger, Art Direction, Cinematography, Film Editing, Makeup, Sound Editing, Mixing, and Visual Effects. So, it was not nominated for... Writing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could go back and look to see, like, all of the adapted, but it's just really unfortunate. Just because, like... Barbie would have been nominated in original anyway. Yeah, it's like why, like, what are we doing, guys? Uh, like, are they trying to give it to? I don't know who's 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 projected to win the original. Oh, is that matter? Holdovers. Oh or yeah, past yeah, lives? yeah. I would think probably holdovers. Yeah, maybe Anatomy of a Fall. Could be. They, I think Anatomy of a Fall won the Golden Globe. Did it? I think that's right. But like Barbie would be Barbie would be a shoe in for original screenplay. But the oh, fact yeah. that it's Who an else adapted, is an original? Uh, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, shout out, uh, May December, and then Past Lives. Yeah, so either Maestro or May December gets ejected. And yeah, then which is like, which is fine. It's just so silly to me that, so Scorsese is nominated for a director. Yeah. Right? And it's nominated for Best Picture. The Best Picture of the Year is not nominated for writing. So weird like yeah the movie is only good because of the directing I the guess. directing yeah which is know. just nonsense i mean i guess the other five movies in adapted are all best pictures so killers would be like six of yeah it probably was it was probably it's it's actually kind of crazy that uh poor things i think got so many nominations i kind of don't i don't really see that as like a, an academy film um that seems to be the the toughest race right now is her versus Lily Gladstone for best. Yeah, actress. 
Did you see Emma Stone's reaction when Lily won? Was she mad? No. <laughs> yeah, she got up and left. <laughs> no, she was like incredibly, like almost overly excited. She like was clapping really loud, like really fast. I don't like that. That seems desperate. And I was just like, oh, are you, who are you doing this for? Why can't we bring back like rivalries? Yeah, no. Like I, I Emma Stone, beef. did not like Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> and I think I deserve to win this award. She should. No, she's too nice. Um, I think, yeah, bring back beef. Like Will Smith tried to do it. <laughs> <laughs> then Holly was like, nah, "Now we're good." Yeah, yeah, yeah we're all right. Thank you. Yeah, why does everyone have to be so nice? Yeah, fuck that. So I, I think if I had to choose, it's either going to be like I think the it's Barbie Oppenheimer and Zone of Interest. I'm probably rooting for Zone of Interest, just because it's such a like wild adaptation. Yeah, and I think this, I obviously I think this is going to win international. I think that's probably the the far favorite i would love for it to win something something else just to solidify it's like this is not just an international film kind of thing you know like this is this is going to be world cinema this is going to be something we're going to remember in 10 years kind of thing even though i said we're not <laughs> i have it okay i think oppenheimer's gonna win here's, okay. here's my question why why are we nominated in foreign films at all in the oscars the american awards body well why, why don't we just stick to american films let the Baptist nominate British. Let me ask you a follow-up question. There can be world. You want to create the Champions League for movies? We can do that. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Why does the winner of the United States Major League Baseball win the World Series? Win the World Series. Because they know. <laughs> <laughs> Same answer, because they know. Yeah. What, who's the guy? Eric Fetty on uh, former Nationals great. Eric Fetty, terrible pitcher for the Nationals. Yeah. Went to the, to the KBO, the Korean League. Oh, yeah. And won MVP. He could he couldn't really? even pitch for the Nationals. Yeah. One MVP of the Korean the KBL. Would you don't you think the US cinema is the best cinema? I I think that's probably debatable. They were certainly like the most productive cinema. Mm-hmm. Is it the best? I don't know. Yeah. You liked Godzilla year one or whatever, right? Like other Minus co- one. Minus color, mm-hmm. dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean but other countries make great movies. Of course. Right? Yeah. But, but why does our awards body have to now be like, well, we have to nominate this movie from Japan in like categories and not like best. Why is there a best foreign mm-hmm. category? And also at all. No, why, why do we do best foreign and then also nominate foreign films in like best director and best picture and best cinematography and best. It's because whatever. the Oscars are the gold standard. Do you think they're trying to overcorrect for like not letting people not nominating people for certain things? Well, they're trying sometimes? to be as inclusive as possible. I mean, they've By been including doing all of World Cinema into five categories. Yeah, you think? You mean five nominees? Yeah, sorry, five yeah, yeah. nominees. Yeah, which is like crazy in itself. It just feels silly. It's like too much. I like it. I mean, I think it's important. I think if for me, I wouldn't necessarily have maybe considered watching films from other countries if it wasn't for maybe this category. Think the French nominated Barbie for like their Caesar Award. No, <laughs> the French are like we know. We know what's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It it's the gold standard. Sort of like and the you know, those countries want to be a part of it. Right? Desperate. (laughs) (laughs) This is my thought. This is my hot take. I'll leave I'll leave you with that. Yeah. Okay. What's your hot take? Why is the Oscar so international now? You you don't you don't think it should be. You should be so you're a nationalist. 
is what you're saying. I'm saying this book had some ideas. <laughs> After our <whole> fucking conversation <laughs> about I'm, nationalism, I'm and not its so sure that the the Milky Way wasn't made by ice. You know. Fucking cosmic conspiracy. I'm just saying. I mean, where's 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 water coming from? Where's the science? Where's the data? Show me the data. It's not about the math, you know. It's about the feeling of. We've officially (laughs) lost the plot. (laughs) Become unhinged. Get us out of here. We don't have a next episode lined up, but we're going to the lab. We're going through some options. Options, yeah. We're gonna discuss after this after this uh, episode, and we'll let you know. Stay tuned into the socials to find out if you want to read along. Um, Thank you for listening. If you made it this far. And if you haven't already, what was our previous episode? American Fiction. Please listen to that. Uh, it was a very good one. And, and watch the Oscars on March 10th, March even 10th. though they're illegitimate and <laughs> could. <laughs> There's could not enough American <laughs> <laughs> representation in the Oscars. There's too much foreign influence. Thank you. That's what you're saying. <laughs> as Eric points out. The best adapted screenplay nomination for Barbie is is based on a toy. So yeah, which take with that with what you will. That's ridiculous. Was Toy Story based on, like? So that... actually, I'm looking at so only two. Only two people in Best Adapted are American, Corey Jefferson and Greta Gerwig, Christopher Nolan, uh, Tommy McNamara and Jonathan Glazer are all British. But at least Christopher Nolan works in Hollywood, right? Like that was a universal. But by your movie. standard, but by your classification, he shouldn't be known. No, but it was made by an American. Production. Oh, production company. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Or a studio, whatever. So, which 24? Is that American? Yeah, that, I'm fine with that. I guess mostly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have it. We'll have to unpack this later. Yeah, I'll find the data. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, Tune into the socials if you want to know what's coming up next. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And we'll, we'll see you soon. <laughs>